it out. Chant it out. Hello and welcome to episode 115 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. We are guestless this week, so if you are ever looking to come on the show, please reach out to us at LAFC S2S on all your social media platforms. We got a couple of really cool guests lined up for the next couple of weeks, but unfortunately nothing for this week. We would like to give a shout out to Brad Weigel, who will be joining us as our opponent correspondent this week, representing FC Cincinnati. He joins us as the co-host of Cincinnati Soccer Talk and more from him on our upcoming match versus FCC later. However, as always, I am Jonathan Reimer and joining me this week is Christopher Sines. We do send our best wishes to Christian Aparicio and hope he rejoins the show next week. Hey, man. How's it going? Glad to be back. Excited about the victory. We had some pretty good highlights, hopefully a goal of the week. And it was definitely a good match. And I'm looking forward to this week's match against uh, FC Cincinnati. Ismail Tijuri Shra. Bro, bro, bro. That, we, don't I mean, mean, that's it. we don't mean to talk about anything else. Just that one goal. We could just spend the next 30 minutes like, gushing over that one I goal. I would love to be able to ask him, was the slip part of the kick? Or was it just something that happened as he was going for the kick and it was unintentional? Is that part of what got the spin on it? Like, I, I've got so many questions about that kick that it, it was just like, but man, talk about Golasso, right? Like, that was such an amazing kick to get us out of that tiebreaker. I mean, it was amazing. It was, I couldn't, I was showing that highlight reel to all of my coworkers at work today. Dude, it was, I mean, uh, amazing. The way he's got an arm on this shoulder, he's got a leg coming into him on the other side that you can see him reach over and try and keep that leg from kicking him off the ball. I mean, the defender's trying to foul him, and he still gets the shot off, beats the keeper with the swerve back of the net on a volley first touch. We can't overlook either. Diego Palacios. And I know that on this show, we have recently been a little critical of Diego and some of the missteps that he might have had on the defensive ability, but the vision that he had, the touch on that ball to be able to place it so that Ishmael Tajiri Shradi was able to run under it and control it. I think that we 100% need to give credit where credit is due. And that 22-year-old, Diego Palacios, cheeky. Money, bro. Pure money. He has this frustrating ability to be so good in moments where you see these flashes of brilliance that just astound and you think, gosh, why can't we get this more often? And then he'll have moments like the concession on the first goal where he plays an errant pass that gets beat and the ball ends up streaking down his side defensively. He has to scramble to get back. He gets beat once. He gets beat a second time. The shot ends up deflecting off him and going in. And you're thinking, gosh, this defensive ineptitude is so frustrating. How can you make three mistakes in quick succession in a row like that? And then he'll play another 70, 80 minutes of beautiful football, free flowing, getting the ball going, have an absolute dime like that one to Izzy. And you just are thinking if he could just button up those other little pieces, we could be talking about you know, a first 11 player in this league, we could be talking about somebody who's not only worthy of the spot on our team, but worthy of team of the week honors 
if he could just button up a few little things. I think that you also need to take it as a full body of work. And it, I think it's the same thing with Brian Rodriguez. You know, Brian gets called up to the national team. He does well. He doesn't necessarily play to the same caliber here for LAFC. Palacios gets called up to the Ecuadorian national team. And, you know, there are times when he may not show those same flashes. I think that those bits where you see positive performance, that's to show the true potential of those two types of players. And when you see missteps, that's just players who are still young and they are crafting and finding their trade. But when you see these players play on the national team levels, their play is so much better and so much more consistent than what it is here with LAFC. And I think that that also could be due to the world-class players that they have around them. But I think that when you look at Chicky and you see what he has to offer and what he does on the world stage, I think that having him as a starting left back for LAFC is, you know, it, it, it's going to pay more dividends than not. And in the worst case scenario, once Franco Escobar is healthy again and he is able to return to form at right back, if something is going on and Chiki is just not where he should be, Ryan Hollingshead could move from right back to left back, which is his preferred position. And, you know, we just give Chiki more time to develop. I think that Chiki Palacios is our best left back on our roster right now. And I think that it's just a matter of potentially, and who knows, it could be the time spent with Steve Terundolo and having to get used to his new scheme and, and coaching ability. So it's, we have no idea, but I just know that what we saw, even though there was, like you said, those consecutive errors that led to the deflection that was an own goal. I think that when you look at Chiqui Palacios throughout the rest of that game against Sporting Kansas City and that assist to Jury Shradi, I mean, amazing. It was amazing. Yeah, so he's definitely got a lot of potential. And he's got to play in order to maximize that potential. And when Escobar comes back, if Hollinghead takes minutes from him, you know, that's going to be another challenge in his development. And you have to wonder if that means whether – it's time for him to go to a club where he can get first team minutes or whether he can prove in this time between now and when Escobar gets back, that he's the one you want to start over Hollingshead, who's let's be honest, played particularly well for us, even though he's on his opposite side over there at right back. So I do think we're going to get a shot for both of them once Escobar comes back, but it's a big if right now, Escobar has been injury prone throughout the course of his previous season. So you know, uh, we'll see if this is a one-time thing or if we're going to need to be looking at moving guys around that back line throughout the course of the rest of the game. You know, so many bright spots to take away from this game. You know, I don't want to dwell on the one goal we gave up because, once again, LAFC have not been scored upon in the second half of a game. Once again, the depth of this team really proved to be the determining factor. All of the buttons that Dolo pushed were the right buttons. Everyone who came in found themselves on the back of the score sheet. It felt like we controlled the pace of the game throughout the majority of this game. We really actually had a fairly bright first 20 minutes in this game, as opposed to what we've seen over the course of the last few games where we kind of start flat-footed. This team was really coming out and you know executing a lot of crisp passes and playing well early on in the game, created a lot of opportunities that just missed. They were knocking and you know, finally the floodgates opened and and we have that absolute golasso from Izzy. You got Sifu getting in there and 
doing something that Sifu wasn't doing before. Normally, he would just take that first shot when it comes to him outside the box. And this new Sifu, a little bit smarter minded, takes an extra touch, gets around one more player, and then is able to just roll a ball across the grass and find the back of the net. So his development is clearly playing out right before our eyes. And that goal was proof of it there. And it's all sunshine and rainbows once again in the LAFC world. You know, the last five times we took a defeat to the Galaxy, we ended up following that game with a loss four times. 80% of the time we lost to Galaxy, we doubled up and had another loss. And so going into this game, you have to wonder if that hangover effect was going to be in place from the loss versus Carson down there at Dignity Health. And clearly the team rallied around this week and, and was able to come out with a pretty solid game plan that took home three points. And I love it. Absolutely. And I think that other players that need to be highlighted in their ability on the pitch was Latif Blessing, always a fan favorite, played very well in that midfield role. And I also think that Chicho Rungo coming in, still continuing to score goals. There hasn't been that fall off from season one to season two. And I think that that is definitely something that we needed with a player of his caliber and playing in that central striker position. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing how Chicho Rongo fits in with this whole dynamic, especially when we have Apoku, Raito, Carlos Vela, and Chicho Rongo. The, the, all four of them have something to offer for this club. It's going to be interesting to see how Dolo decides to balance out that attacking prowess. Yeah, and we saw a Moose sighting in this game as well, too. Almost got himself on a beautiful header that just went wide. Opoku, I thought, had a really good game, getting himself into some good spaces. The final touch might just not have been there either on the shot or on the pass. But if he continues to get himself those kinds of opportunities, the assists and the goals are going to come. I thought, you know, we haven't seen a whole lot of Chicho and Vela playing together this year because of injury time. And, you know, the two of them worked well off one another. I'm excited about Arango as he you know continues to nurse himself back to full minutes but he's now scored in back-to-back games and uh, you know we saw it last season when he scored in four straight games exactly what he can be for us and you know if he starts on a tear for us now that he's coming back from injury and starts putting up the kind of numbers like he has frankly since he arrived in this league uh, we're looking like we're in a good spot you know Arango's the leading goal scorer in all of MLS since his arrival and if he can continue on that kind of golden boot-esque form, that's a lot of pressure off the shoulders of the Raitos, the Quadwo Mahala Opokus, and the Velas of the world to then be able to find a way to execute what they want to do offensively. So again, we're back to we're back to sunshine and rainbows. Everything looks good. We've got ourselves a, a two-match week here. So we've got a Wednesday match uh, in the Open Cup, and then this weekend we're away at Cincinnati a team that is absolutely decimated by injury. I'm very curious when our opponent correspondent comes on a little bit later to what kind of team we're going to see from them because on paper, a team that plays a three-back system only has two healthy starting backs. So what exactly are we going to be looking for from that team is something I'm, I'm very excited about. But let's be honest, FC Cincinnati have not looked great to start this year. And now they're going to be playing without almost all of their entire defensive core there's really an opportunity for LAFC to steamroll them this weekend, depending on what kind of squad rotation we see on Wednesday. So, uh, you know, I'm excited. Uh, um, this show might come out after the Open Cup game. We might get a chance to do a quick segment on that if possible. But if not, Chris, what are your thoughts on squad rotation for these two games? Do you go full B squad versus a USL championship team, knowing that you're playing an MLS team away next weekend? Or do you look at those injuries and and the status of fc cincinnati and think to yourself well 
my goodness, we've got a chance to maybe play a few extra players midweek and looking at the game on the weekend as being a bit of a laugher. I think that LAFC is definitely going to put in some players that haven't had as many opportunities to play. I think that you might see Danny Masofsky get the start as a striker. I think that you might also see Opoku get the start as a striker because he is, I feel like he, while he has been in our starting 11 for the majority of our matches, I think that he is definitely a player that can benefit. And he's still very, the youth on his side definitely helps him, right? Players that are young like that have the ability to rebound quickly after matches. And I also think that um, he's, he's like a, a fringe 11. You know, he is like an 11, a 12 pick on, on for the player's squad. Even coming off an injury, you're not worried about Opoku on three days rest having just played on Sunday? I mean, I can understand. You're talking about the injury that kept him out from last season. I think that that injury is, if it was a concern, we wouldn't be seeing him playing 90 minutes. But maybe, maybe that's something very much to consider. It could be one way or the other. I also think that, you know, we might see some of the players that have been down playing for Las Vegas, like Cal Jennings, you might get a start. What about... Danny Trejo, could we see a front three of Jennings, Trejo, Mazowski? Well, you know what? Here's the thing, right? Danny Trejo is not officially on the LAFC roster. He's not even a player that is being loaned out to Las Vegas. He is currently a Las Vegas player. So if LAFC were to bring in Danny Trejo, they would have to do it tomorrow. It could happen, but they're definitely running out of time to do it. I think that we might see... John McCarthy get his first start in at goal over Max Cropot. I think that seeing somebody like Danielle Henry, who playing in for de- a defense is an opportunity. Ibiaga hasn't gotten a lot of minutes seeing him in as a defender. Let's see who else. Let me go through this lineup real fast. Getting an opportunity to see uh, Jose Cifuentes because he wasn't getting, who wasn't, he didn't start this last game. So I don't know if it's necessarily a B squad. I do think that there might be a little bit of bleed over from some of our normal everyday starters. I think that players you for sure will not see in this match against Orange County. I don't think you'll see Carlos Vela at all. I don't think you'll see, uh, obviously, Brian Rodriguez and Eddie Segura, who are still hurt. I don't think you're going to see them at all. I would be surprised to see Kellen Acosta. I think that, you know, you are not going to see... Um, Ilya Sanchez, no way. Brian right. Holly said Sanchez, no way. I don't, yeah, I don't think you would see Chicho Arango unless it's coming in as a substitute in the last 30 minutes. But yeah, there, there are definitely some players that I don't think you're going to see at all. I, I'm really curious... I think at outside back where we seem to be the thinnest, exactly what Dolo is going to do with, you know, three matches in the course of seven days with the open cup match midweek. And so we've already seen, you know, Palacios and Hollingshead play in the course of this first game. I mean, does Ismael Tajuri Shradi, is, is he going to get himself a start potentially versus Orange County? If he doesn't get the start versus Orange County, could we potentially see him as the starter versus Cincinnati? You know, I think he's proven himself to be a worthy piece coming in off the bench. You know, is this somewhere where he's earned himself a start between one of these two games? And if he doesn't get a start, he's certainly going to get minutes in, in one of these games. Where do you deploy him is another piece that I'm, you know, kind of fascinated to see how this plays out this week. But that outside back where we seem the thinnest is the one to me where I really have the question mark because I'm, I'm not too familiar with the outside backs on the Las Vegas lights and uh, whether or not they're going to be capable of handling open cup versus, you know, frankly, a USL championship time in OCSC 
or, or even look, I mean, FC Cincinnati is still a major league soccer team. They still have talent, especially on that counterattack. We're going to need outside backs to help us with that counterattack is their style. I mean, we know we're going to have the majority of possession, but once possession turns over, they're going to be sprinting to try and sneak a goal going back the other way. And that's going to require some speed on the flanks in order to help deal with that. So now, yeah, look, I, I, don't, I don't want to be in Dolo's seat this week. He's got some tough choices to make. And I know we applaud this team for being so deep at times, but uh, it's really going to be tested this week as to whether we are two squads deep or not. I, I mean, absolutely. And so I, you know, I just, I just wrote down, I'm doing like a very quick, you know, writing down of names that I see potentially as being some of the names that we're going to see, you know, and this could be an opportunity too, for Dolo to put out a formation that LAFC hasn't really been playing for the last few matches. You know, maybe you do three in the back, maybe you do, you know, something else that gives us a little bit of a different look. But I think that, you know, Masofsky, Izzy, Cal Jennings, potentially as the top three, Sifu and Janela in the midfield. There's one more midfielder position in there. Maybe it's a Poku, maybe it's Blessing. And then uh, Daniel Henry and Ibiaga as our center backs. I don't know who you'd play as our wing back players. And then McCarthy as the goalkeeper. So, I mean, there's three players, three or four positions in there that we could see as flip-flops could go either way but I I would expect to see something of that nature and and I still I don't think that that's a B squad right I yes there are some B players but I think that having you know Donnell Henry Ibiaga those are both veteran MLS players Sifu is definitely not a B player but the fact that he hasn't been getting some of those starting minutes in the previous matches this is an opportunity for him to get those Masofsky was a starter for LAFC last season at the end of last season he definitely is not a B squad player. Neither is Ishmael Tajiri Shradi, right? Like he was an influential player with NYCFC this last season. And it, it, we, I think we just saw, especially in the two goals that we've seen from him, where he took that free kick against Miami and he had that golazo against Sporting Kansas City, that you can just see that he is a player that has the ability to score beautiful goals. So I, I don't think that I'm concerned. I do want LAFC to take these U.S. Open Cup matches seriously, especially now that the path to the CONCA Champions League needs to be earned based on championships won, whether it's U.S. Open Cup, Supporters' Shield, MLS Cup, or it's your finishing position in your league at the end of the season. We cannot forego an opportunity to score to secure a spot in international play and just focus on something else. We have multiple opportunities. We should take all of them as equally serious because this shouldn't be an oversight, right? So I I would hope that if obviously maybe not this game, but as we progress farther into the U S open cup, I would like to see that LAFC puts out a roster that is extremely dominant and competitive and I feel like that was something that I didn't necessarily see from Bob Bradley while he was here. I felt that Bob Bradley didn't take the U.S. Open Cup matches as serious as I would like. And, you know, and that's unfortunate because I think that we might have, if we would have taken it seriously, especially in 2019, who knows what would have happened. There's an argument to be made to run the A squad Wednesday and the B squad, quote unquote, this weekend versus, frankly, a terrible Cincinnati team right now with with all the people that they have out and their new acquisitions not being on the squad yet. I mean, we're catching them at a perfect time that we do not need our, you know, first 11 
to be able to go out there this weekend and still expect a result in Cincinnati. So I, I think there's an argument to be made. And the thing I, I really like about this is, so if we advance past Orange County, we then play the winner of the fight in Jerry Jimenez's, the San Diego Loyal versus the Carson Galaxy. So we would be playing the winner of that match. If for some reason, the San Diego Loyal are able to beat Galaxy, we would be facing Jerry Jimenez's new team, the San Diego Loyal. Shouts to our homie, Jerry. We love you, brother. Heart of LAFC, the podfather. Or we could be having ourselves another Clasico Angelino, but this time an Open Cup version. You know what? I think that either one of those matches after Orange County are going to be exciting. I'm not sure if LAFC or San Diego would be the host for that match, potentially. And either way, I am totally okay with having another derby against the Galaxy whether it's at Dignity Health Sports Park or at the bank, because it's another opportunity for us to potentially right the ship and make a statement. I think that any competition against the Galaxy is always a welcome competition, in my opinion. But I would love to see, and that's one of the things I love about the U.S. Open Cup, is that you get to see LAFC play against teams that you don't normally get to see them play against. It's going to be exciting. San Diego doesn't sound that bad either. If no, we end up going down to play San Diego Loyal, mm-hmm. I could just see the 3252. Just like Dodger fans have a tendency to take over Dodgers Padres games, I could see LAFC fans going down to San Diego in force, hitting up downtown, maybe a little old town, get myself some of that carnitas. Oh man, there's so much good Mexican food down there. Maybe pop over the border, head over to TJ, a little Ave de Revolucion for a little while, maybe hit up some clubs. Come on back. Gosh, this sounds like a good time if we end up going down to play San Diego, but uh, we'd be Keep optimistic. In mind. Keep in mind, right? Galaxy. The U.S. Open Cup is also going to probably be midweek, so I don't know if you're really going to be going down to TJ on a Tuesday night. You know, you know what? I think that anything can happen. I think that this is an opportunity too for the San Diego Loyal to potentially make a statement, and I think that they and you know they're owned by Landon Donovan, right? And isn't he still the head coach of that team? So wouldn't that be just poetic justice for Landon Donovan to come in and and to trump the galaxy? It's delicious. It's a great matchup. Um, These are some of the reasons why we love U.S. Open Cup, because you get Landon Donovan's team versus the galaxy. And and when do you ever get to say that in this world? So, um, yeah. And obviously, no matter who we end up playing, you know, be it Landon Donovan's team, someone that uh, obviously the 3252 and he do not get along, uh, as you can expect. So. There's going to be a little spice in the matchup, no matter who it is that comes up. So I'm really hoping that um, we're able to take care of Orange County. And again, you know, look, they're they're the champions right now. They're not a bad team. We know all about that system, having previously been aligned with it as one of our partnerships a few years back. So, you know, look, there are good teams down there and we are we are not going to have to look past it. So it's going to be a fun week for LAFC. I feel like the entire conversation, once again, has shifted to all things positive. The announcement that Fenerbahce have officially taken Diego Rossi, the most unsurprising of news. We now know exactly what the financials are involved. LAFC get a little over five million bucks to spend. Well, after all the other fees are taken out of it, they'll probably get two, three million dollars in that could be applied towards now refilling that DP slot, which is officially open. It's no longer on loan. So, you know, it's it's looking good. We could be seeing that third and final DP showing up in this roster. I think we're probably still about a month away from hearing what's going on with Carlos Vela, but as Tom Bogart is reporting, both sides are apparently close on that one. So things things are looking good for us right now, despite a, a little hiccup a few miles down the road last week. 
Yeah, and I I think that this, like you had mentioned, the performance of LAFC after the derby, it showed that this club didn't continue to falter, that they rebounded, they righted the ship. Now, granted, too, Sporting Kansas City has not been starting off as they traditionally have, or at least in recent years. But Sporting Kansas City was still a very, very dynamic team. And I think that when you look at FCC, you know, when you see what their body of work is and their ability to attack on the counter and the injuries that they're dealing with, I think that if you were to overlook FCC, that would be a mistake too. I think that this team, they just had a shootout four to three. I think it was against Montreal. They had a nil-nil draw while being manned down against Atlanta. I think that this team has the ability to score goals as the as as we saw in that shootout with Club de Foot, Montreal. But I just don't think it's a team that we are just going to be like, hey, it's a walk in the park. I would rather see some of our bench role players play in Orange County and see more of our starting 11 versus FCC than the other way around. I think that FCC deserves more credit than having a roster uh, starting 11 of, you know, the likes of Masofsky, Ishmael Tajiri, Shradi, Cal Jennings, Apoku, potentially Sifu, Janela, Daniel Henry, Abiaga, and um, McCarthy. I think that, you know, FCC deserves a little bit more respect than that. Well, speaking of alternate competitions, LAFC have announced that they will be taking on Club America in a joint double header at SoFi Stadium, featuring another match involving the Galaxy versus Chivas de Guadalajara. So here we have America and Chivas fans and LAFC and Galaxy fans all showing up to the same stadium with the same ticket to watch a back-to-back double header at SoFi in what the venue hopes is a preview of the potential of this location as a World Cup qualifying site. And so they have decided to bring in four fan bases that do not like each other and put them all in the same roof as a test of this stadium's faculty and ability. And I think I'm really excited about going. I've already purchased my tickets. I'm very happy to be sitting in the black and gold section. But there's a part of me that says, ooh, the security for this game had better be intense with four fan bases, the likes of which we have seen incident. I'm just a very, very apprehensive about this is all going to play out, but excited to go and put on a show of supporter culture. And hopefully the team goes out and puts on a show on the pitch and beats Club America again. Now, let me ask you this, right? Because LAFC versus America is going to be the first of the two matches. Are you even staying for the second one? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Why not? I mean, I paid my ticket. I'm there at SoFi Stadium. I get to watch, you know, Chivas hopefully destroy the Galaxy. I mean, I, I'm not, uh, you know, a Liga MX fan at, at all. I, I don't watch a whole lot of soccer from down there. I mean, I might catch a game from time to time. I can't say I, I have any affection for either team, America or Chivas, but I just want to observe how the America fans treat that game, how both the Chivas and Galaxy fans treat that game. I think just observing a game. I and mean, look, this is the first ever time this sport has been played at SoFi Stadium. Um, and what an opportunity to watch, I mean, an amazing game, hopefully between the two of them. And uh, 
that's a rare opportunity and to get to watch it with all of my LAFC brethren shoulder to shoulder with me. And that sounds like a great time. Uh, I don't know, man. I'm, I, I don't know if I'm going to go to this game, dude. It's, uh, I, I mean, I, it just seems like it's going to be a total S show, bro. Like it's just going to be, I don't know if I want to see, like you want to go because you hope that it's a good showing and you hope that the world recognizes that SoFi Stadium is a qualified venue. But at the same time, I can't help but expect that it's going to fall flat on its face and we are going to be sitting here later in August criticizing everything that played out about that match. And we're going to be criticizing security and the lines and the bathrooms and the, I mean, we are literally going to criticize everything about this just because it doesn't seem like the opportunities to prepare appropriately happen on things like this. Well, look, this event is being organized by Major League Soccer and organized by SoFi Stadium. They're attempting to sell the brand of this venue, this location, this this region as a potential World Cup site. So there's a lot of eyes and more importantly, perhaps a lot of dollars riding on how well this game is executed. And if they're able to build a functional game day setup for four fan bases that do not like each other, if they can pull this off, this is an amazing claim for what the city of Los Angeles could potentially become a World Cup season. Now, there's just so much riding on this game. You have to think that they're going to get it right. But, uh, well, I definitely have my apprehensions from a security and fan safety standpoint. I don't know if I'm at the point yet where I would advocate bringing children to this game or people who are not prepared for things turning dark. That's a sad state of the game so I'm, I'm really hoping that they knock it out of the park with their security protocols for this game to the point where if the world cup does come around we can prove that it can safely be done and i think we saw progress with regards to the galaxy game when we went down to carson you know it was better than what we had seen previously so hopefully people are starting to understand exactly logistically what needs to take place to execute an event of this magnitude but we are all most assuredly guinea pigs in this lab experiment as far as fans go that are entering this stadium. And I just, uh, my fingers crossed that everything goes well and we get to watch two beautiful games. What is the consensus, seeing as how you are the podcast representative for the 3252, what is the consensus that you've heard so far from the supporters about this upcoming match? Do you feel that the supporters are primarily excited do you feel like they are not nearly as excited based on the fact that it's a a, it's a doubleheader match against uh you know because not every LAFC fan is a Chivas fan not LAFC fan is an America fan and we're definitely not a Galaxy fan so you very well could be sitting there and buying a ticket to watch LAFC play and being like man I don't want to watch Chivas Guadalajara play uh, the Galaxy and then you're just like, that's just this. I have no intention of staying. And you're going to leave after the LAFC match. I think there are a lot of people that are going to leave after the LAFC match. But I think a significant portion and probably more than you think are, are just going to be having fun and want to stay around. So, you know, there might be people that think, you know, for safety reasons, it's probably best to get out early, avoid two thirds of the opposing fan base that could be leaving and potentially more of the America fans that are probably going to want to stick around to you know, stick it to Chivas during the game. And, you know, I think there are a lot of LAFC supporters that uh, want to be there just to 
you know, kind of maybe give it to Carson a little bit during that game as well, too. After having done our style of active support throughout the course of the first game, this might be an opportunity for the LAFC fan base to do a more European style of, of interaction with the game throughout the course of that second game. And again, I, th- I just think that's all going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I think the consensus from the 3252 without pulling back the curtain, you know, past the point I'm obliged to do so, but it's the job of the 3252 to make sure that we are an advocate for the voice of our members, right? And and those people right now, their biggest concern is safety and logistics. So it's the job of the 3252 right now to make sure that every concern we have about safety and logistics gets bubbled up from our members and the greater LAFC community to the decision makers. So if you have thoughts regarding that, I would encourage you to reach out to uh, a 3252 member and, you know, someone in, in cabinet or council and let them know, hey, this is this is how I feel about what needs to be done so that we can make sure that message gets put across. And then once we feel that the logistics are in place to ensure safety, and then it's about providing the best active support and the best representation of the brand that we can give. And I think that is the mentality of 3252 leadership going into this is to fill that section with as many people as we can safely get in there. We, you know, I think we have something like 17,000 tickets that are for the LAFC section. So that's, that's a pretty big away corner of a massive SoFi stadium. And so hoping that, you know, the entire LAFC community wants to come join a traditional away day and an opportunity for people to learn some chants and sing and get involved throughout the course of that game versus club America and, and, creating that culture of active support is probably secondary at this moment, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Look, there lots of, lots of hardworking people there in the 3252 that are trying to do what they can, but you know, the 3252 really is in conversation with LAFC and then LAFC is then in conversation with MLS. So this is very different from a normal game where LAFC would be a decision maker in the process. LAFC is just another away team, right? It's MLS and the folks at SoFi that are running this whole event. So there's a lot of faith that has to be put in those two parties in order to make sure that all four fan bases are kept separate and safe. So let me ask you this. In the event that one or all four of the fan bases wanted to do some type of TIFO or active support, you know, we're used to standing in the North End and having safe standing. That's That stadium is not built for that. You know, there isn't the terraces, there isn't the pulley systems. So in the event that the SoFi Stadium wanted to show as a World Cup venue, are any of those potentially things that they're going to look to try and accommodate, maybe not at this match, but at future matches? I think supporters want to support and supporters want to do the things that they tend to do to drive their team forward. And whether that's a TIFO, whether that's some other form of you know, organized presentation. I I don't know. I would imagine that all three other fan bases that are showing up have something in the works planned that they intend to do and are attempt to work with the stadium in order to make those things happen. So whatever ends up being permitted by the venue, I would assume all four fan bases would participate in some way. Now, whether or not you know, TIFOs are not easy things to do. It's not just like you roll out a sheet of paper and and draw it and boom, you're good. I mean, that has to be designed. It has to be sketched. You have to be painted. You have to purchase that entire giant piece of fabric that has to be sewn and constructed, which is neither cheap nor easy. 
nor is organizing the execution of one of those uh, a very simple process and acquiring all the paint and all the brushes and making sure that everything that has been sketched out, everybody knows what color is supposed to be painted in each particular area, getting the whole thing treated with fire retardant before it ever goes up at the stadium, that entire TIFO has to be turned over to the fire department and the fire department has to treat the whole thing with chemicals to make sure that it's fire retardant. It then has to be attached to that netting. That netting has to be rigged up to the pulley system and all that stuff tested. That's an incredibly lengthy, expensive and time-consuming process for every one of those TIFOs that goes up. And for a stadium without that equipment, you know, in order to get that certification and all that stuff done, I just don't know. I think the question is likely going to be asked, and I think supporters are going to want to do as many things as they normally could do, be it flags, be it drums, be it whatever. Those questions are going to be asked, and and I'm not entirely sure the venue has a complete idea of what to expect yet. So hopefully that's part of the process we work out so that, you know, come World Cup time, supporters are able to come in and, and rep their team as they want. I just hope it's on television too. You know, I hope that that they end up showing this on television and that that way people do get an opportunity to see what it's like without having to be there in person. Oh, I think not only are these games going to be televised, I think they're going to be televised on a big network. I think these games are are also going to be part of the MLS attempting to show people the potential in TV numbers. If there were to be some kind of collaboration between Liga MX and MLS, as far as what is the market viability of these matches, I think this is another big test of potential competitions going forward whether it's a merger of the leagues like we've heard about being bandied about whether it's a separate cup that's played between the two leagues or or all the other ideas that have been kicked around i think this is once again testing the market viability and the execution and venue of that particular product which is why it's not a game of lafc versus galaxy followed by a game of chivas versus america right which on paper seems like well that would be the bigger sell but instead they've mixed it up, right? And, and I think there's a reason it's LAFC versus America and Chivas versus Galaxy all in the same venue on the same day because they kind of want to start to promote that cross-league interaction. So I, I think there's a lot of potential market value that is being invested in this game. And I, I really hope that all the people who see exactly how impactful an event like this can be make sure that all of the operations go as smoothly as possible. All right, well... I think that uh, we've got some exciting stuff coming up, but uh, I think that we're going to take ourselves a quick break here, and then we're going to come back with our interview with uh, Brad Weigel, who is our opponent correspondent for FC Cincinnati, and uh, we'll be right back with that interview after a short break. Yeah, what's up, a miniature boy here once again, the Hood Foodie, and today you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast, so make sure you guys come out, support, and tell them that the Hood Foodie sent you. Joining us this week to represent FC Cincinnati, we have Brad Weigel, the co-host of Cincinnati Soccer Talk. You can find them at CincinnatiSoccerTalk.com and at Twitter, you are Bradley Zweigel. All right. Thank you so much for joining the show. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and the outlet that you represent today, sir? Yeah, Jonathan, thanks for having me on. I uh, appreciate it coming on and talking with uh, with you guys. Uh, Cincinnati Soccer Talk, we started it about seven years ago, you know, just four of us guys trying to talk about a, a new USL team, trying to, uh, you know, find a, a little niche here in the Queen City. And really, it's just exploded ever since then. You know, we, we got in uh, strong with the, the supporters groups, which, you know, you guys, you don't need to hear about how awesome we are at supporter, uh, you know, supporting our teams. But, uh, 
yeah, we uh, just started off covering the team. And, you know, over the last seven years, we've had great moments like the U.S. Open Cup run. Uh, we had a lot of success in the USL. And then we transitioned to MLS, a little bit downhill with the results and COVID and all that. But uh, we're still going strong. There's like a group of about 12 of us guys. We put uh, put out at least three three shows a week. Our main show is on Monday night. We do a talking tactics show that really I would encourage your, your listeners to, to listen to, even if they don't care about FC Cincinnati, because uh, – We've got uh, Coach Brad Goff, a former college coach. And then if you're an Arsenal fan out there, you might know the name Justin Hoyt, former FC Cincinnati player. And uh, he uh, he's our co-host of that show. And then we've got March to Match Day, which you guys are you know, thankfully to be my guest this week. So uh, we do a lot of great content. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just looking forward to the results to turn around to match our content. So go ahead and catch us up on some of those results for our casual listener that might not be paying close attention to the performance of other teams. Since your inaugural season last year, why don't you go ahead and take us through the end of last season, the off season and the changes that have been made to the team coming into this 2022 season. FC Cincinnati, ever since the old USL days, it's always been a team in transition between coaching staffs, you know, results moving up to MLS. And this off season was more of the same. Last year, we had Yap Stoms, our head coach, former Manchester United legend, and then Gerard Nijkamp was a general manager. They were both let go at the end of the year, and uh, you know we hired Chris Albright uh, from the Philadelphia Union to be our GM, and Pat Noonan was a former assistant coach of the Union, and really, there were just uh, the Philadelphia Union Midwest was what we like to call it. It's been a struggle. I think over the last three years, we've failed to have an identity as a team on how we wanted to play. It was a lot of hero ball with Luciano Acosta. And, you know, this year it's been a work in progress with Pat Noonan. I really like what he's doing. They had that. They wanted to play that 4-4-2 diamond style like the Union did, but we just don't have the talent. We don't have the players that fit that system yet. We don't have the depth. So Pat Noonan has had to juggle some some of the formations up. If you would have seen us week one, we looked like a lost golf ball in high weeds. You know, you, we, we got killed by Austin five to nothing, which, you know, it's not looking half bad now because they're looking like they're a pretty decent club. But ever since then, you've been seeing uh, us move more. It's like a three, five, two, at least, you know, defensively kind of getting trying to get more bodies forward fast on the counter. If you look at our, our results, it's it's really kind of weird where we played D.C., lost them one to nothing, but we were the better team uh, against Orlando. You know, they were the better team, but we ended up winning two to two to one. And we've had some crazy results of late. We lost to Charlotte 2 nothing. They had two worldly goals and their goalkeeper stood on their head. And then Montreal shootout, it was three to four Montreal. But again, I think we were the better team. So if you look at FC Cincinnati on the whole, outside of the last 20 minutes against Atlanta when we were down a man, we've been beating teams on the XG side of things. I want to say we were like top three in XG and MLS, but we're giving up a lot of goals and we're not really controlling possession, which is something that, that scares me this weekend. So speaking of the team that's ready for this weekend, you guys have had a number of injuries to go ahead and start this season. So why don't you take us through exactly who's not going to be there and what your anticipated 11 is going to be for this weekend? Sure. There, there's going to be a lot of movement is like I said, due to injuries, we missed, I want to say it was something like seven players. We only have a, a, a roster of 27 players. So if we had, uh, I want to say we had seven or eight injuries, but we only fielded eight a roster of 18 players this week. So we're going to miss some big names. We're going to miss center back Jeff Cameron, who's been a starter in Penn every week. He tweaked his hamstring on the final play of practice Friday. He's more than likely out. He hasn't returned to practice. And so when you only have four center backs, losing one is huge. And now we're going to be missing Nick Hagland, who 
a lot of your players might know from the Toronto days. He picked up uh, two yellows. So we only have two healthy center backs for a team that's been playing a back three system of late. A big, big miss. It looks like it's going to be season ending is Ronald Matarita. When he played, this was a different team. We were we were great getting up that left side, creating a lot of chances for Brandon Vasquez up top, who up until this past week, I'm going to say was leading the Golden Boot race. Calvin Harris, who was the second pick in the draft last week, he's out. Alvis Powell, who was our starting right back, he might be out. So as you guys can start to see a trend, I have no idea who's going to play defense this week. We also have a midweek U.S. Open Cup game against Pittsburgh Riverhounds. If I was Pat Noonan, I would call up 20 academy kids if it was loud and just let them play. And if they win, great. If they lose, you know, oh, well, we just we just do not have the bodies on defense. Sounds like uh, you got your boots ready. We, we might need you to get out there. Yeah, you don't need this slow white guy on the field. It's 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 pretty bad. Some of our fans obviously know some of your more marquee designated players like Alan Cruz and Luciano Acosta. But you just recently acquired a new designated player. Can you tell us a little bit about him and some of the other role players that they might want to be on the lookout for? Sure. Uh, Obina Woboto is the, the new DP coming in. Unfortunately, he's not going to be here this week. One consistent factor of FC Cincinnati has been absolutely abysmal midfield over our last three seasons. And and this year they made some signings. Uh, Junior Moreno, who's came over from D.C., he's helped solidify it a little bit. So that, that'll that help. I'm really looking forward to see Woboda when he gets here. They're probably saying in about four weeks or so. He's going to be that number six that really just disrupts the pitch. So you're probably catching us at the right time, missing players due to you know injuries and, and transfers and whatnot. Really, I think that's been the missing key to FC Cincinnati at times. Uh, Moreno and Yuya Kuba, who will probably be our two starting midfielders, they're just too slow. They're just not quick enough to be that disrupting presence in the midfield. Whereas Wobodo, he's just a six with tremendous wheels and he could be able to break up plays on the counter. He'd be the one guy that I'd be comfortable, you know, Flatif blessings, you know, sprinting up the field that can maybe, <laughs> maybe match up. But, uh, you know, that that's a big, big, uh, you know, signing that we're going to miss. You know, Alan Cruz, that was a, a guy that I would say was our MVP year one. Uh, unfortunately, he's just he's been hit with injuries pretty much ever since year one. COVID didn't help him. Lack of fitness. The the coaches haven't rated him. Then unfortunately, he lost his sister a couple weeks ago, and then right when he came, comes back, picks up an injury. So again, that's even more support in the midfield out. So like just to give you an idea of uh, the situation of FC Cincinnati right now, when we were still tied with Atlanta, and you know you want to bring an impact sub in, uh, into the game, you know they were bringing Dom Dwyer who, you know, we know, I mean, you know, he's not the same player as he was, you know, five, six years ago, but that's still not a bad piece to bring, be off, bring off the bench. We were bringing Nick Markanich, who, while he was the college one leading goal scorer last year, I think he was still second round pick. So that, that just shows you the lack of depth and what still has a long road to face this year for FC Cincinnati. I think that the starting 11 when healthy can match up against any MLS team. It's that player's, 14 to 25 that just scare the living bejesus out of me right now well we know that an establishing a squad is still something that's very much a build in progress what is not needing any building at the moment is supporter culture you have one of the most vibrant and electric supporter cultures your show march to the match is named and highlighted by what is one of the most iconic events preceding your matches in these epic marches we see all over social media. Tell us a little bit about supporter culture and how that's transitioned to being an MLS fan base. Yeah, well, I've said this multiple times through guests over the years. 
when we built this club, we weren't just building it for the now. We were building it for our kids' future. You saw a lot of people my age. Now I'm 35, but you know when we got into this, I was in my mid to, to late 20s. You saw a lot of those same people building this, and it really just became a family because it, it's hard to get you know excited about the Reds. And up until you know the last two years with Joe Burrow, it's been hard to get excited about the Bengals. So FC Cincinnati was something new in Cincinnati that didn't quite have that stinky taint, you know, to it from past uh, past uh, just absolutely horrible. I mean, the Bengals just break your heart all the time, but it was, it was really good for us to just, you know, all different groups from around town, just everybody would come down. They would come down to Nippert stadium as a USL team in year one, we were getting 20 and 25,000 people. And that really went for those, those three years. And then even into MLS COVID really hurt. I would have to say due to performances and, and just due to not being able to be together, it was such a community feel. And when, when you couldn't meet as a community, you lost part of that. Now, luckily, with a lot of investment, the new TQL Stadium, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, I'm not going to say it's, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing as SoFi Stadium. Got to see that this this year, which was absolutely impeccable. Loved it. But, you know, for, for a MLS stadium, I think it's got to be hard to meet. So we're just waiting to have those crazy nights like we did with the uh, USA-Mexico match this year, which was an absolutely electric atmosphere. And, you know, honestly, I think when we get good, this, it's just going to be, it's just going to take off and it's going to be like your 3252. It's going to be one of the hardest places to play in all of major league soccer. Well, we're excited about SoFi stadium here in Los Angeles because LAFC just announced this week that they're going to be playing in the first ever soccer match, football match played at SoFi stadium as in a double header. That's going to be an, an interesting day because the day is going to start with LAFC taking on club America. And it's going to be followed by the Galaxy taking on Chivas de Guadalajara. And all of those fans are getting a double admission ticket. So the stadium would be split into four quarters with LAFC and Galaxy fans diagonally across each other. And in between them, you have Chivas de Guadalajara and Club America fans that are going to be there as well, too. And that, I hope we have the National Guard, the Marines, a few <laughs> SEAL teams. I, I have no idea what security is going to look like for this game, but... We're excited to get into SoFi. Uh, you know, there, there's been you know, a championship one there already for being a brand new stadium. You, you might remember that. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I did make the trip out there this year to watch the Fighting Joey Burrows. It, it hurts, especially how late it was. And, you know, Aaron Donald is just unflipping believable. And I, I just, we, we kind of knew that was going to be our Achilles heel all year was that uh, damn offensive line and that bit us at the end. But, you know, with, with those matches at SoFi, and I would love if they actually do the renovations and get the World Cup out there because that, that facility is the coolest place I've ever been to in my life. You never had to wait a minute. You know, there's 80,000 people in there. You never had to wait a minute for the bathroom. You never had to wait a minute to get a beer. It was unreal. But uh, I, I just want to hear that noise. You know, Chris has got little kids. I saw him back there. He's going to need to bring his, his, his noise-canceling headphones if he takes his kids for all that sound. That's just going to reverberate off that roof. I mean, I don't know if I've ever been in a louder place, you know, once uh, Dre got on stage during the halftime show, and that, that place just went insane. Yeah, it was. Uh, I've been I've been to uh, SoFi Stadium for other events, and it's it, it's quite loud. I mean, it, it is. It's one of those ones where you definitely have to uh, be be aware of of the hearing protection, especially for younger kids. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what it would be like if you were to actually put like a world football yes. match in there and hear the hear the chanting and the drums and just the the active supporter culture. It would be. It would probably be an amazing scene, unlike anything else that that we've ever seen in this country. You know. Yeah, I mean, you, you think about if they could get like if they could do the changes to get the World Cup there, and let's say you had the U.S. men's national team or the Mexican national team there, 
or like one of the South American clubs, that would be, I would be must see TV. People are already sort of kicking around the comparisons to Estadio Azteca in referring to soccer games at SoFi as being Estadio Angelino. And so there's, there's already people that are, are hyping it up, whether that's um, us begging, pleading on our knees, hand in hand to try and get ourselves some World Cup matches here in Los Angeles. Um, you know, we're going to try and have some fun when we get out there this August. Yeah, dude, I, I, hope, I, I hope you guys do. I hope you guys get it. So speaking of this current LAFC team, we were kind of curious what your opinion is from the outside viewing this team. Obviously, our own fan base loves to dissect every player and every action that we see. But what we often don't get is that outside perspective, aside from, you know, the media presentations during a match day, which can be infuriating to fans in and of themselves. But from an outsider looking in, what are your thoughts on this current LAFC squad and run of form? So I'm a big Moneyball guy. Like if you go to CincinnatiSoccerTalk.com, we have like the salary budget tracker and it always like it goes over our DPs, U22s and like how much assets we have left to trade and and whatnot. And I kind of did a little deep dive into LAFC before our show. And you guys scare the you know what out of me. I don't know if it's a family friendly show or not. So I got to watch, you know, watch my mouth. But uh, you do for real, because, you know, trading Diego Rossi, DP spot open. You have some flexibility with Carlos Vela, but you know what? Even if you keep him around for another year and a half, he's still a tremendous player if he's bought into what you have going on. But really what scares me is that you have so many young players, that back line, especially like three of the four guys on the back line are young. Apoku, young. I think you guys have uh, a couple U22 spots you can go out and make some big signings with too. So just to continue to bring that youth to a team where you have now also a lot of MLS vets and Sanchez, Latif Blessing, Kellen Acosta, Hollingshead is your backup right back. Like that's scary to me. And that's how I think success really should be built in this league. I think when you see teams like FC Cincinnati, they went out and got every international player they could and they got three trophies with it. Three, you know, three wooden spoons, but we call them trophies around here. But yeah, you you guys just scare the bejesus out of me. Um, I liked Steve Trundolo a couple of years ago when we were, we were looking for a, a manager and he was with, I think he was with Hanover too. And he was like assisting the main Hanover squad and, and whatnot. We were like, let's bring him over. And, you know, for whatever reason that never happened. Cause I think uh, we had such a Dutch influence. It was only going to be a Dutch coach. And I never want to see that ever again. But uh, yeah, you guys, I, I mean, once you get Brian Rodriguez back, like what's going to happen there? You know, I think he's still out hurt. So th- there's so much talent on your team. And but the potential is what scares me even more to make that team even dangerous, even more dangerous. Well, you know, I think that we have seen uh, LAFC do uh, pretty spectacular things, especially in the 2019 season when they made that run for the Supporters Shield. But ultimately, what's going to matter is the longevity in the postseason. And I think that, you know, when you look at some of the blue bloods that have been here in the MLS and how Portland and Seattle, especially here in the Western Conference and Sporting Kansas City, these teams that, you know, they make these playoff pushes and they get in and then they have those dominant postseason performances. You know, it it doesn't really matter how well you do in the regular season if you end up falling Mm -hmm. short at the end when it counts. And I think that that is definitely where LAFC needs to still test themselves is in those big matches. And, you know, our first test this season, we had already had some missteps against the galaxy. And so while we have all of this talent and we have these, these players that are exciting to watch, 
I do think that there is a lot of opportunity for LAFC to continue to refocus in on on making it a a full and complete season. So, like, let me ask you a question then, because if you look at especially from the crew, you know, just being so just down the road from then, I saw a lot of their MLS Cup appearances and they had a great center back pairing, a lot of experience. You've seen Portland. They have great defenses with some impact attacking players. Seattle, you know, you had Chad Marshall up there for years as a great center back. And then you've seen what they can do on the attack. I look at your guys' attack. It would keep me up at night if I was Pat Noonan. But you've got two very young center backs. And I think it was the fall was the 19-year-old. I mean, do you do you guys have confidence that that those types of players could lead you to success? Or do you think that might be an area where LAFC goes out and maybe uses one of those high profile pieces to solidify that back line. Or do you disagree with my take? I don't know. I, I think the one thing that people have forgotten because he's been out injured for some time right now is that Eddie Segura is about a month away from being healthy and coming back. And he was our all-star center back. He really was the marshal of that back line and part of so much of the success. In fact, up until the time he got injured, LAFC had never lost a game in which he had played it. Every single loss the team had 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 been on days in which he was rotated out. So if he was starting, it was a win. And that was pretty much a lock for this team. And when he went down, we really struggled uh, across that back line. And it was the emergence of Jesus David Murillo, who started with Eddie Segura. And Eddie Segura made him look like he was going to be a defender of the year candidate. When Segura went down, it really kind of exposed some of his youth. And we brought in this last season, 18, this season, 19-year-old, young Senegalese Mamadou Fall, and he has really impressed the LAFC faithful in his development. Are there still opportunities in his game, particularly on the defensive end? Yes. And especially that side of the defense when paired with Diego Palacios. I mean, that's probably the Achilles heel of this LAFC team right now. If there's a chink in the armor, it's definitely going to be that one particular location between those two players. And if that's really all you have to say about this team is that you know, our, our weak link is a 19 year old up and coming superstar. That's still learning how to defend appropriately in this particular system that Dolo's really only been employing for five or six games now. And we still have yet to this entire season yield a goal in the second half of a match. So, I, I mean, I think if, if you're looking at this back line and saying they're young, we would certainly agree with you, but they definitely have not plateaued and they are still showing signs of improvement oh yeah, and we're getting our best defender back in the next month as well too. So I think LAFC are fairly confident about what's going on in the back line. We have some players in the youth system coming up that are defensive center backs that are currently starting for the Mexican national team within their age bracket as well too. So we've got some L tree talent that was locally developed that have come up through our ranks as our Academy is finally getting to the point where it's going to start graduating players into the first team, something that was going to take five or six years. And now that LAFC are five or six years in, we're really going to start seeing the effect of the grassroots movement across Los Angeles, because there is a ton of youth talent here in Los Angeles. There is so much football being played out in the streets and in the communities. And LAFC have really only just touched the tip of the iceberg with moving all of those players in through a system that filters them up to a first team or up to a collegiate academic level. So I think we're really excited about the youth movement and feel that defensively, that's where we are going to solve those issues, be it on the international market or be it developing ourselves. I don't think anyone in the LAFC community expects 
DP or big allocation money to be spent on a defender. I think we would look to the midfield and to the attack for that money to be spent. But uh, yes, there there are some weak links in, in the center back pairing right now. But I think we're confident both in development and replacements coming up soon. You know, to keep in mind, too, that, uh, you know, how he had mentioned that Diego Palacios potentially has had a few missteps. And I think that that was also dating back to some of the international call ups over this season and last. Ryan Hollingshead is actually a left back by preference. So he's pretty much filling in right now for Escobar, who's injured. So, you know, if you have Escobar back who's healthy, you have Segura's back who's healthy, that is a very much different back line when now moving Hollingshead over from right back to left back and uh, introducing Segura back into the center back pairing, whether it be with David Jesus Murillo or with uh, Mamadou Fall. So I, I do think that, you know, in a month's time from now, barring any injuries to any of those players that you would see a, a different look in that back line. But you would know all too well about injuries creating a completely different back line as we've previously discussed. So why don't that go ahead and lead us to our prediction for this match? So, Brad, if you could, how do you think this game is going to play out and what do you think the final score is going to be? Sure. I think you guys are going to have possession all day. I think it's probably going to be something like 65 or 70 percent possession. One thing I forgot to even mention is Don Baji, who started at Ford the first, I don't know, four or five games of the year started at left wing back this past week because we didn't have any left wing backs. So I'm really scared to death. I think you guys can control the ball all day. You do have to be careful of FC Cincinnati's counterattack with Lucho, Costa, Brenner, and uh, Brandon Vasquez. They've been very dangerous. Like I said, they, they've they been one of the top teams at MLS as far as XG goes, but as far as fulfilling that XG, it's not quite been there due to outstanding goalkeeping other reasons this week Brandon Vasquez just he couldn't hit the goal if it was a foot in front of him but uh I, I think it's gonna be something like three to one I I don't know how we keep a Poku Vela you know Kellen Acosta you guys uh, there's so much talent I don't know how we keep them out of the goal we're gonna be starting a maybe two center backs because we only have two healthy and one of them, like I said, Ian Murphy, who he's only played, he's, he picked up his first start this past week from MLS draft pick. So golly, uh, good Lord, help them. I think they're going to probably just park the bus and pray they can pick something out. I don't think that's going to be indicative of FC Cincinnati for this whole year, but just do the injury situation this weekend on the, in the defense is what they're going to have to do. Oof, parking the bus in front of your own fans is never something you want to, be looking for for a game but of course look you guys are depleted through so many injuries and other reasons and yeah. lafc are flying high which means you guys are probably going to win four nil because that's mls <laughs> it's better than the open door defense formation we've employed the last three years just <laughs> you know we've we've set the two of our first three seasons we've set the record for most goals conceded so we're used to pain and suffering well lafc are licking their chops at the moment and that's always a worry for us on the the observation side who view that as a trap game, but we'd really like to thank you and coming on for preaching a little FCC for us today. Again, Brad Weigel has been our guest today, co-host of the Cincinnati soccer talk. You can find them at www.cincinnatisoccertalk.com. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. And with that, we'll be back after this break with our final segment. Hey, what's up everybody. This is Alexis Guerreros. I'm the fat guy on the Cooligans. You're listening to shoulder to shoulder podcast. All right, Chris, we've just spoken to our opponent correspondent. We are all ready to get geared up for this match versus FC Cincinnati. So it's time lay it on the line. What do you think is going to happen in this game? I think LFC is going to come out and win. I've been saying it for six weeks now. LFC is going to get their shutout. It's going to be two, nothing. Max Grappo is going to get his shutout. 
And I'm going to keep saying it that I'm like, I'm just going to keep saying it until it's right. And that's, that's what I'm going to do every game from now on. This game to me has the potential to have an absolutely wild scoreline. From what we've just heard and what we knew going into this conversation about the defense for FCC, they have no one left. They're, they're two center backs attempting to fill three positions. They are going to be so exposed across that back line. I think we have a potential in this game to run up an absolutely ludicrous scoreline. And it would not surprise me if this is one of those games where LAFC crack into the five, six plus goal range. I mean, really, if we come out firing on the front foot versus what their team has to offer now, whether or not we get caught on the counter attack is, is really the question. But if you're talking about giving LAFC 60 to 65% possession and you have no serviceable center backs and your outside backs are, are, are deep rotations as well, too. I mean, this this could be a, just a bloodbath. So I, I really do think LAFC have the chance to take this one home five to six. I do think that uh, as far as goals that we score on, I don't think they're scoring five. I think we score five or six. And I think there's a chance that uh, there's a chance your shutout happens, my friend. I'm rooting for you. But uh, again, until this team proves to me that they can play the kind of stalwart defense to warrant predicting shutouts, I still think they're going to sneak one goal across. And I think the final score is five or six to one. That could be. That could very well be. I still think it's going to be two to zero with LAFC getting their shutout. Maxime Cripo is going to get his shutout this game. I feel it. I know it. But no, on a, on a more serious note, uh, I do think that LAFC, I mean, he did, he had already had that 2 0 shutout against Inter Miami, but, and, and there was the 3 0 shutout against the Colorado Rapids, but he's due, right? He's due, he's due, he's due. Maybe we should, maybe it's one shutout a month, right? Because he had one in February, he had one in March. He hasn't had one in April. So we're due. It's the last game in April. I want my shutout, Maxime Cropo. You got it, bro. I know you can do it. But Max might end up playing Wednesday. You know, no. we could be looking at Johnny no. Mac in this game. No, he is not playing. He might play Wednesday, but he's he, but he's definitely gonna play on Sunday versus FCC. It has to be. He has to have that shutout, bro. It has to happen. Well, I still think we're going to destroy them either way. Now, weather is the big variable here because uh, it could be potentially snow, could be rain while we're there as well, too. It could end up being one of those really, really cold, oppressively miserable games in which players don't want to be out there. And, and that could completely affect the scoreline as well, too. But if we're taking weather out of the equation, then I would assume that uh, LAFC absolutely destroy them. But inclement weather could play into the home team's advantage here, but they're short center backs, they're short outside backs, they're short midfielders. They don't have a particularly potent offense to begin with. Their midfield has been terrible. Their back line's been terrible versus an LAFC team that's, you know, aspirations of being supporters, shield cup contenders. We have a well-marshaled team. We should absolutely obliterate them. That is going to go ahead and wrap us up for episode 115. Uh, before we sign off, we did want to send our condolences to the Harbenschwager Philemon family, our pod brothers over at Defenders of the Bank and Angel City Chicks. We know that uh, Panda and Philly lost their Siamese cat, Schmitty McMittens, the official mascot of Defenders of the Bank. Uh, we're hearing that uh, 
Philomonster Studios has been officially rebranded as Schmitty McMitten Studios in honor of his passing. But uh, uh, we know how important he was to everyone over there. And so we send our condolences along for sure. I also wanted to give a shout out to the homeboy Gordo Dinu from District 9 Ultras, who's currently in the hospital battling his way back to joining us in the North End. Gordo, we love you, brother, and we hope you get healthy as soon as possible. But Chris, do you have anything else before we say goodnight? No, uh, just uh, appreciate you all taking taking the time to listen to us. And uh, again, if anybody's interested in coming onto our show, please feel free to reach out to us at LAFCS2S. We would love to get you on and tell your story. Uh, I know that there are a lot of untold stories in this community, and we would love to hear them. So uh, we look forward to seeing you guys again at a match this up- upcoming month in May, and uh, we look f- we uh, would love to hear from you. All righty, well, Chris, we won the Bunny Bowl. I had I had to sneak it in one time, <laughs> bro. We have to uh, the Bunny Bowl. We got to come up with something better, dude. Next next time we have it on Easter, like we. But the Easter egg hunt, I saw pictures of that dude. Easter bunny was in the stands. It looked like it was a good time. Yeah, yeah. So we go from the bunny bowl last weekend to a different kind of bowl on 420 game this midweek to heading to FC Cincinnati for a matchup this weekend. Looking forward to talking to you all next week. We'd once again like to thank Brad Weigel for joining us from Cincinnati Soccer Talk as our opponent correspondent with the And that, we will call it an end to episode 115. Thank you all for listening. Take us home, Sticks. Together, this our culture. Fill the force of a supernova. Stay flying that FC Dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy. Cape us so mommy, about to drop her fifth. They won't need a stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that. Bat.